This podcast episode is sponsored by Trust Impact. If you're struggling to find clear and easy ways to understand, measure and communicate the difference your charity makes, why not see if Trust Impact could help? Trust Impact puts impact at the heart of your strategy by sitting alongside charity leadership teams to provide high quality strategic advice, proportionate research, beautiful data visualizations, and a really pragmatic, straightforward approach to impact measurement. Visit trustimpact.com to find out how Trust Impact can help you. Hello, and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse, Senior Multimedia Reporter. And I'm Andy Ricketts, Acting Editor of Third Sector, the leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. In this week's episode, we're going to be doing a stock take on volunteering, following the launch of the Big Help Out, which forms part of the King's coronation celebrations. And Andy, the latest data suggests that volunteering numbers are going in the wrong direction, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the government's community life survey, which has been run since 2013, the proportion of people in England who are volunteering in some sort of formal capacity that's involved in a group like a scout group, as we're going to hear from Matt Hyde later, or football training or anything like that, has been going down consistently really since then. I mean, obviously, the last couple of years have been massively affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, but broadly, 45% of people were involved in formal volunteering in 2013-14. That went down to... 37% just before the pandemic in 2019-20. So there has been a consistent kind of fall in those figures. And even though we've seen some big volunteering things that have happened, you know, things like the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, all these sort of things where people had opportunities to get involved with volunteering. And even the government's National Citizen Service scheme for 16 and 17-year-olds, which has involved a volunteering element with the hope that that would encourage young people to get involved with volunteering in a meaningful and ongoing way. That doesn't really seem to have pushed the numbers in the right direction. So there is a challenge there for the sector. Mm, Yes, I think the latest figures suggest that 7 million people were volunteering once a month in 2020-2021, which is the lowest recorded since the data collection started. So Mm. it will be very interesting to hear from our guests how this new initiative coming up to coincide with the coronation is hopefully going to reverse that trend and how they see it as a form of innovation to encourage new groups of people from various demographics of getting involved and signing up for a volunteer role for the first time. Joining us today are the leaders from two large charities spearheading the initiative. First up is Matt Hyde, Chief Executive of the Scouts, where he has worked for the past 10 years. Before that, he was Group Chief Executive of the National Union of Students. And before that, he held positions at various London student unions. Hello, Matt. Hello, good morning. And also joining us is Catherine Johnston, Chief Executive of the Royal Voluntary Service. Catherine has held several other senior positions within the voluntary sector, including Chief Executive of Samaritans and was Chair of the Directory of Social Change. Hello, Catherine. Hi, good morning. Let's start with a look broadly at the voluntary sector. How healthy is volunteering in the sector at the moment in terms of the current demographic and how it's been affected by the COVID pandemic? So I think it's a really mixed picture. 
if I'm honest, depending on the size of the organisation, small, medium or large, and also depending upon the cause. So not one size fits all, which would be a normal reflection of the charity sector and its diversity. I think we saw you know, sort of revolution in volunteering during the pandemic with 12.4 million people stepping forward in 10 months, of which almost half were first-time volunteers. They'd never connected in their community, never done anything like it, never given their time. But I think that's a great opportunity. I also think that we saw, what, 4,300 mutual aid groups, you know, small groups, WhatsApp groups all coming together to help in their neighbourhoods, which was, again, brilliant. And the mixed picture and the slightly differing views that are coming forward about whether or not we're seeing growth in volunteers or decline in volunteers, it depends on which part of the sector you look at, what cause and everything. So there are definitely lots of opportunities and there are definitely parts of the sector where growth is going really well. But equally, there are parts where we need to have more of a focus and just think about the way in which volunteering can be for all. Which leads us very nicely on to the next, perhaps most obvious question. What is the Big Help Out and how can charities make the most of it? Well, the Big Help Out, first of all, it's a public engagement exercise to get people excited about volunteering. So it is linked to the coronation. There'll be a big focus on the bank holiday Monday of the coronation weekend. But the campaign has really started now and it will last beyond the Bank Holiday Monday as well, rolling into Volunteers Week and Thank You Day and beyond. And what we wanted to do was find a different way of getting people excited about the possibilities of volunteering, particularly for those people who aren't volunteering now, and to talk about the benefits of volunteering, not just to society and to the economy, but to you as an individual as well that it's good for your health, it's good for your well-being, it's good for your skills, and it's good to be part of something. And there's lots of research that that backs that up. So that if we can find new ways of telling that story of getting people excited, the next question is, where can you go in order to find volunteering opportunities? And that's why we've created the Big Help Out app and also the Big Help Out website that will both signpost the app, but also local volunteering infrastructure websites as well, whereby you can be signposted into volunteer centres or the wider voluntary sector. And then on the Bank Holiday Monday itself, there's going to be a number of events up and down the country whereby you can get people excited about volunteering in public places, in local communities, coming together to undertake voluntary activity but also to find a way of having the ask about what that might look like for volunteering. So within the Scouts, we're going to be doing pop-up scouting up and down the country, loads of activities, families can get involved. And as part of that, you start to have the conversation about volunteering because we know it's more than just your ability to click like on a social media platform. It's how you convert that interest into an actual volunteering opportunity. And you place a heavy emphasis on local communities there. How do you see this working and being beneficial to small grassroots charities as opposed to big ones like Scouts? Well, I mean, firstly, we're a national brand, but we're 8,000 small charities. So we're a federation of lots of very, very small charities, including one where I'm sat in Northern Ireland in Belfast at the moment. 
you know, your point, I think, is, okay, what about those that don't have the national brands? And they make up the majority of the 170,000 charities in England and Wales. Well, what we're finding is interesting already on the app is that 65% of the organisations that have signed up are local. Mm. About 15% have our branches as part of a federated structure, and then about 20% are national charities. So I think what's really important about this is it's a very easy way to get involved, but also people will be connecting with local authorities who are very involved as well, Lord Lieutenancies, High Sheriffs, all of the local voluntary infrastructure that draws on all those local and smaller charities that are the lifeblood of the country. And Catherine, just to kind of address the second part of that question there about how charities would be able to benefit, I mean, what things are you hoping this event will yield for them? Okay, well, it's interesting that you talk about the benefit for charities because my starting point with the Big Help Out has been benefit for individual citizens who want to be active. And I think that's an important point of differentiation. You know, when you try to do anything different, you know, see Royal Voluntary Service and NHS volunteer responders during the pandemic, you know, we were bringing a tech provider together with a national institution and a charity to actually do micro-volunteering in a crisis. And I think that met with, from the community, 750,000 people stepping forward in four days to volunteer, (laughs) to give their time because we were all in it together and it was a bit of a leveller. But also it demonstrated that people actually want to find different ways of getting into volunteering. It's not one size fits all. Yeah, Royal Voluntary Service wrote something called Kickstarting a Volunteer Revolution pre-pandemic, which was all about that we'd got a bit stale and a bit stuck in a rut with our volunteering. And we were relying heavily on our ageing population. And thankfully, our ageing population was doing us proud. You know, they were volunteering more and more hours and more frequently, to Matt's point, long waiting lists, lots of demand for charitable services, but heavily weighted to older people. We weren't focusing at all on rising stars or bringing our young people in or looking at how volunteering should be for all, whether you have a disability, you know, whether you have a visual impairment, for instance. Everyone says, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll do an online phone volunteering opportunity if it's somebody who's got a long-term health condition who's immobile that's not good enough anymore people need choice and they need to be able to come in through lots of different gateways and hence to your question about the charity sector is we must do better you know and I think we all learned that during the pandemic we have to be more open we have to be open to not expecting people to sign their lives away for 10 years every Wednesday and every Friday afternoons between two and six. We need to embrace digital, online technology, apps, and we need to sort of revolutionise the way in which the sector itself works together, which, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been around a long time, so I've got some, you know, scars (laughs) and battle wounds of, of previous collaborations, you know, is that we have to challenge ourselves to work better together to create the pathways for people to be able to give their time, their skills and their expertise. So I think that this, you know, it, it's good. For, it could be good for everyone and it could be even better. The headroom for smaller charities to benefit more because they rely less on paid staff, for instance, and more on voluntary action is enormous. It's potentially a place where people can come together 
for the supply and the demand. And do you see this relatively new way of reaching new types of volunteer through the app, which is fundamental aspect of the Big Help Out? Do you see it almost as an experiment and a way to test how to reach new communities going forward? We have some experience of this from the pandemic. So, you know, whether or not you loved or you know, were not so keen on the micro-volunteering around health in the NHS Volunteer Responders Programme, it demonstrated a huge amount of learning. So people from the least deprived right the way through to the most deprived communities stepped forward to do the micro-volunteering. There was a much greater diversity of cultural background lots and lots of people who had never stepped forward in their community before. So not only was the pandemic a a leveller because we were all scared and all in it together and all wanting to do something, it captivated the imagination of local people in local communities who just wanted to step forward and do something. Mm. So I think think we need to take some learnings from that gateway of a relatively low entry bar, being able to sign up quite quickly and then enact your intention to step forward quickly actually is what's captivated now I've got loads and loads and loads of examples with some of which have been published already about you know individuals from culturally very different communities who step forward I mean Atoll one who spoke at our launch you know he comes from an Asian community never thought about stepping forward never thought about doing anything he stepped forward to do the NHS volunteer responder shopping and check-in and chat at the beginning he then went on to be a steward volunteer when we expanded it to vaccination and now he's training to be a Samaritan volunteer Mm. now he would never ever have gone from being in his community to being a Samaritan volunteer unless he'd had the opportunity to engage in his community to try if you like try before you buy get a taste of what it is you might like to do and, and get alongside other people so I think, yeah, we are learning and this programme will be no different. It's heavily weighted to what are the things that we understand as we work through this. Yeah, and I think I'd just add, if we keep doing the same things we've always done, we're going to get the same results. So we have to draw on our expertise and our history of knowing what works. And we've learned a lot on that in recent years, as Catherine said, in in the pandemic. But also we have to have some degree of disruption and to try things differently. And not all of it's going to work perfectly. In fact, some of it may fail. And that's okay because it's a critical part of innovation, particularly if we are genuinely committed to diversifying our volunteer base and reaching to new communities. You've got to do things differently. One of the things we've been talking to is the I Will Ambassadors or the Youth Ambassadors who are part of that fantastic movement and uh, I was talking to them about different ways in which we can engage through different forms of social media but also showcasing the incredible efforts of young people themselves because all those young people got involved in volunteering on social action because they saw someone like them doing it so in order to do that we've got to break out of our comfort zone and that will be uncomfortable for some people within the sector Mm. It also, we don't have a monopoly. Charities don't have a monopoly, monopoly on volunteers. So that's why we were really keen to engage sports organisations, which is why Sport England and the FA and others are involved. Faith communities, absolutely essential in terms of reaching different 
communities and uh, reaching out in different ways. And again, such a critical part of our, our civic core. And some of it's not going to work, but we're going to learn stuff that we can feed into things like the vision for volunteering that DCMS and other of the umbrella bodies are, are leading on. This try before you buy kind of idea strikes me as fairly new in the sort of field of volunteering for such a big event such as this. I mean, obviously, we've seen over the years, you know, the 2012 Olympics came and went. That was a massive volunteering opportunity. And I think the voluntary sector was hoping that would really sort of move the needle on on volunteering generally. We've had the UK Year of Volunteers. We've had the Commonwealth Games, most recently in Birmingham and before that in Glasgow. I mean, the figures from the Community Life Survey, which have shown a, a broad sort of fall in formal volunteering over the last sort of 10 years would suggest that these haven't really sort of moved the needle on volunteering. How optimistic, Catherine, are you that this event will change that? Uh, well, I'm I'm the eternal optimist. So, I mean, that's the first thing. Pre-pandemic, this, this idea, which was quite disruptive, actually, at the time, I had a bit of a target on my back when we published it, of kickstarting a volunteer revolution. In the foreword, I wrote... Short of a global pandemic or a war, <laughs> my goodness me, you know, kickstarting a volunteer revolution is actually going to be quite tricky. It's going to be pushing water uphill because we are all very entrenched in doing the same things that we've done for a very long time. The, the general public, you know, included in that. I think that actually we've got a lot more opportunity now as a result of the pandemic and the disruption that has happened. Ironically, also because of Brexit. So if you take this up another level, so rather than focusing just on the UK, let you know, look globally. The things about economic prosperity, which is what we all want and need, particularly in a post-pandemic world, relies on a number of critical success factors. So trust is right at the top. And if you look at Edelman's barometer, which has been going for 23 years, they published in January, those countries that are doing the best economically are those that have the highest levels of trust and connectedness. So the UK used to be in sort of the second from the top, as in doing okay. During the pandemic, we have moved into the danger zone of moving into the most polarised, along with Brazil, uh, you know, Mexico, um, and some of the other 28 countries that have been involved in this barometer. So trust is a really, really important thing. If you look at the Anthropy Manifesto, which was published last night at the House of Lords, this future vision for Britain, 30-year vision, it's all underpinned by economic prosperity and that requiring trust, community connectedness. If you look at the Archbishop bringing together the Together Coalition, which is leading on the campaign element of the Big Help Out with, with us, the Archbishop brought the Together Coalition together at the time of Brexit, because they were concerned about polarisation and trust in communities breaking down. If you look at time well spent, it says the same thing. If you look at the pro bono economics report with the Law Commission that was published earlier this year with Andy Haldane again and Gus O'Donnell, it's all saying the same thing. If we as a country are to be economically prosperous and to recover successfully from a global pandemic, adjacent wars, etc., then actually trust and community connectedness are essential. And therefore, if you take that all the way back round to what Matt and I are doing in, in what we hope is a relatively humble but quite noisy way, 
is saying actually volunteering should be for all, not be just because as individual citizens it's good for your physical and mental well-being, but actually because it binds us together, it brings our communities together, it reduces polarisation, it actually reduces loneliness if you actually want a local domestic policy that keeps rearing its ugly head. But actually what it does is it creates community connectedness and that in turn builds trust and that in turn builds this economic prosperity that we all need so that we can stop focusing on economic challenges around cost of living and get back to investing in us all living the lives that we want to live. Yeah, and it sounds like it's then a case of looking at various ways of stimulating people to join initiatives that promote that community connectedness. And Matt, in your position at the head of the Scout Federation, how do you see all of that working out in practice? Do you see an appetite within potential volunteers within the communities that they're in to be joining or or is it a real struggle at the moment? Well, we've just added an extra three and a half thousand volunteers net in the last year. So, you know, we're still increasing our number of volunteers, but we need even more to keep up pace with the demand that's out there. And I think, you know, for us, we have found some success in promoting the messages that volunteering is good for you. That has had traction and that's why we've kind of placed that at the centre of some of our thinking with the Big Help Out as well. Because if you can start to use different means of communicating, then you start to get people's attention. I think the other thing that's slightly different from some of the things that have happened before, like the Olympics or even the pandemic, was they were based on one moment in time and a common effort around one thing. Here what we're saying is, Whatever your passion is, there's something for you. And whatever time you've got, there's something for you. So that could be animal welfare. That could be supporting the elderly. It could be helping out in terms of the fight against food poverty. It could be young people. So then the aim is to make that as easy as possible to unlock those opportunities and find where to go. Because one in five people say one of the reasons why they don't get involved in volunteering is because they don't know where to go. And that's why putting all this in one place and really sort of, I suppose, hanging on the coattails of the coronation as well. When you've got a moment where the country will be having a focal point in time, but actually through that mechanism, by providing the tools we've got, the website and the app, hopefully we can generate that interest and even just get a conversation going about the power of volunteering as well. And then what will be interesting is if we can start to also make them the public policy messages as well, that this is also good for the economy and good for society and therefore it needs investment because it isn't just going to happen. You've got to be able to stimulate the demand and also then make it easier for people to participate after that also. And just moving on from that point, Catherine, what sort of things would you suggest that charities might look to do if they want to help encourage a kind of volunteer revolution? You talked about trust in communities, which is slightly aside from what your average charity can influence. What can charities do to help kind of improve the volunteering levels and make it easier for people to get into volunteering roles? Yeah, so there's loads. So, I mean, at the most base, they'll be really clear about what the volunteering opportunity is. The amount of times people think they're signing up for something and then it turns out to be something completely different. So really clear about the difference that you would make by giving your time, your expertise and your skills. So that's you know the first thing. 
The second thing would be, you know, wrap your arms around people from the minute they pop their head above the parapet. <laughs> and again, sadly, not blaming anybody. And often it's a lack of investment and a lack of resources. People can often wait a very long time for somebody to get back to them having registered an interest. So if you're promoting that you've got some opportunities, then you need to be ready to receive them and work with people who may want to take them up. Thirdly, don't waste people's time. Time is the most precious thing that people can give. Just think about, are you doing this because it's going to make a real difference to someone? Are you doing it just because you need a few more people to come and do some tasks that nobody else wants to do? The volunteering opportunity has got to be mutually beneficial. In fact, I always talk about a triple bottom line. You know, it's got to be good for the person receiving the service. It's got to be great for the individual volunteer. And it's got to be on mission and vision for the organisation that is facilitating all of that to happen. And then think local, dream big. The sector, and you started to drive, I think, to a conversation earlier about this sort of tension between national versus local, local versus national, which, quite frankly, I was dealing with when I was a CVS director 25, nearly 30 years ago. You know, it's not gone away. Um, and that's not blaming the CVSs or the volunteer bureaus. And it's not blaming the nationals. It's that we are driven and divided by different eras of policymakers across all of our institutions and governments and everything else about, oh, we must do this in this tiny community now and it must be at the lowest possible common denominator but actually again it's not either or so this idea that we all need to be putting our best foot forward to make the pathway seamless and if somebody wants to come in through an app they're available if somebody wants to come in through a local CVS or volunteer bureau in lots of areas they're available but in lots of areas they're not we need to make sure that every community, every area has access routes that work. And it's interesting how it's marketed in this particular initiative. The big help out doesn't actually mention volunteering at all. Can you talk a little bit about what is most likely to attract people to voluntary positions? And do you have any insight into the types of volunteer roles that are more popular than others? Let me just go back a stage and just talk a little bit about how the Big Help Out came about, which was started out with a conversation I was having with Richard Curtis of Comic Relief and Blackadder and Mr Bean fame uh, about a year ago. And we were talking about, could you have a night of TV that was about the giving of time rather than the giving of money? And that led to some further conversations. We worked up this initiative about what that might look like. And we engaged with a guy called Peter Davey, who was one of the producers who'd been involved in um, putting together the big night in, which some of you will remember during mm. the during the pandemic, where Children in Need and Comic Relief came together in those early months of we were experiencing COVID. And he came up with the name Big Help Out. And I think that's quite interesting. Because I wonder whether if we'd have sat around within the voluntary sector and come up with a name, we would have come up with something that didn't mention volunteering. I think there's something really powerful about it. And so what we did was then when Catherine and I started working together, we worked up the idea and of course it changed and it didn't become about a, a night of TV. But as we engaged 28 other charities, it became 
this public engagement campaign and, and part of the coronation as it is now. So I think the reality is, from what we've seen and the data I've seen, is that different people are attracted to different things. And, you know, within scouting alone, we have trustees of our 8,000 charities that are all available roles. We've also got people who are scout leaders. There's probably about 90,000 of those who turn up on the front line and help deliver the programme each week. But we've got probably a further 30,000 who are involved in volunteer management roles, line managing other, other volunteers. And then we've got people who are uh, come in, cut the grass, they make the tea, they help drive the minibus, all of these things. And that is the key message here, is that whatever your time that you have, whatever your passion is, whatever your motivation is, which number one for us is people would say helping out young people. But for some people, it is about being part of something and being connected to something, whatever that is, then uh, there's a volunteer role for you and you can find it through the Big Help Out and through the other platforms that are available. Great. Well, Matt Hyde, Chief Executive of the Scouts and Catherine Johnston, Chief Executive of the Royal Voluntary Service. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now we move on to Charity Changed My Life, in which we bring you the stories of people whose lives have been transformed for the better through the work of charities. This week, we hear from Mira Wiggett, whose family was supported by Gosh Charity after her daughter Maya was seriously ill and treated at Great Ormond Street Hospital in the first few months of her life. My daughter Maya was really poorly when she was born. She was three pounds one. When she was two months old, we were transferred to Great Ormond Street Hospital. We went back when she was six months old and had her full heart surgery. The first 48 hours, she declined a a lot. Um, She went into cardiac arrest. She went on a dialysis because her kidneys failed. So the first 48 hours of the second surgery was quite intense. And we were there quite a lot overnight. We were there for six weeks. And this is when we first experienced the parent accommodation that the Great Ormond Street charity uh, provide. And without that accommodation, we would be traveling back and forth to Cambridge, where we live, um, limiting our time with Maya in hospital, but also adding that anxiety of travel and and distance and thinking about food and where we're going to stay that night. Don't get me wrong, you know, it was, a, it was a difficult time for us, but I think having the charity support us as a family to get through the, the, the hardest times through the recovery period, it just made things just that little bit easier. And all the staff and volunteering, it's just amazing and so caring and so personable. Um, we couldn't have asked for any more. So Maya now is eight years old. She is a bubbly little character she has so much love for gosh she she understands what she's been through we've we've been through that with her and she just wants to support gosh as much as she can she's into sports she's um, a girl guide she is so active and those are the things that we thought she would never do from the initial diagnosis that we got when i grow up i want to be a medical doctor because they saved my life and a doctor is really important and you get to do medical things and you get to learn well things well that's great to hear from Mira Wigger and her daughter Maya on how the GOSH charity 
massively helped them and it's really heartwarming to hear these charity change my life stories so if you want someone from your organization to be featured in charity change your life we'd love to hear from you all it takes is a short voice note from someone who has benefited from your services submitted to our voice note mailbox you can find the link to record your message and further guidance in the show notes to this episode that's it for this week you can read the transcripts to this episode and all of our recent ones on the third sector website under podcasts and if you have any ideas for future episodes or topics please do fill in the survey it won't take you very long and the link for that is also in the show notes thank you to our guests Catherine Johnston and Matt Hyde and to our producer Nav Powell join us next week <laughs>